we're wrapping up our quick two-week series, Blood and Thunder. And I, I just like the imagery because I, <laughs> I like how intense it is. I think it's cool. Like, I think the only better part would be, like, if you did that entrance video to, like, Creeping Death or a Metallica song in the background, I think that would really, that would really make the series cooler. But for where I like, I love the imagery of it because we're specifically talking about what it takes to see a move of God. And a lot of times we sit back and we go, we need to do, we need to talk about some things when that happens. And it's that it requires a little blood, a little human effort, a little energy from the human side, but then it also requires a little thunder. None of us can produce the thunder. None of us can produce the power of God when we're answering the question about a move of God. So we picked this series, and I thought it was a cool background. I thought it was a neat idea behind it all. Um, and then Rob in the back, he, he took a picture last week of the series, <laughs> and he put it on a Facebook page titled, Photoshop My Pastor. And so when you put it on there, anybody from any church... <laughs> can Photoshop the series. And it's fun. We have a, they have a lot of fun with it. And so he grabbed a couple of those. He sent me one of them. And I was like, okay, we've got to at least show that to the church because it was um, funny. But in this series, we're, try, we're trying to answer the question, what does, it take, what does it take to see a move of God? So again, we talked about it last week. I think every one of us would love to see a move of God. How many of us would love to see a move of God in the city? I know I would. I would love to see a move of God in the city. Many of us, maybe it's not the city for you. Maybe it's you want to see a move of God in your marriage. Maybe you want to see a move of God inside of your workplace, maybe inside of your school system, maybe inside of your family. Maybe you're one of those individuals where you're like, God, I just want to see a move of you inside of my spirit, inside of me. That's what I want. And I think we can all relate to this idea or this concept that we want to see a movement of God in some way, shape, or form. And again, when you study, when you study the great uh, the great revivals and you study the great movements, particularly starting from Acts all the way forward, there's always those two elements involved with a move of God. There is the hands part, the human part, the humans getting involved, the blood, the energy, the sweat, the tears, the, the human element of getting involved in God's process. And then there's that other part. There's that supernatural part that none of us can explain and none of us can fabricate either. We can't cause the thunder. We can't cause the power. We can set up for it, but we cannot cause it. And that part is what we're going to talk about some today. So before we get started, I'd like to tell you a little story. Last week, um, I asked you guys to find out about a gift, particularly what God has given you. And we're going to review that a little bit more. A couple, a couple months ago, uh, I went to uh, Ohio with my mom because my my mom and dad were selling their old house. Um, she lives in Florida now. Her and dad live in Florida, but they were selling their old house. They were renting it. Renters did a number on it, so they needed to get some work done to it. So I went back to help mom get that set up. And as I'm back there, my dad texts me and calls me. He's like, hey, everything in that garage, son, you can take it if you want. Anything in there, I'm not using any of it. Dad was a carpenter, and he was also an engine mechanic. So he, uh, he had all sorts of different things. And I'm, okay, let me, let me just, can I be honest with you guys? I'm not a handyman, okay? Now, I can either fix it or put a hole in it. That's about the only two options. There's not, I'm not, I can figure it out or I'm going to damage it. That's about how that goes. So I'm not a handyman, right? I'm not a handyman, but I know enough to be dangerous with a hammer and screwdriver. And 
um, as, I, as I'm going through this thing, and dad's just like, hey, you can take anything in there, son. If, if you don't take it, it's going to be sold. So I'm like, huh, bet. And I go in there, and there's so many things, and I got a tiny little shed, so I can't pack everything in there. But what I started to find as I started to go through, and I mean, they're selling the house, so they're selling every piece of it in there. And this is a two-car garage, right? No cars fit in this garage because of all the things dad had in there. We're going through all those pieces, and, and, and I got to this place where there's so many different tools that I didn't know what they did. And I mean, I saw Dad use a lot of tools, and he taught me a lot, but there was a lot that I didn't know. In fact, I brought one for you here today. And the thing I always ran into was, I don't know how valuable this is. I have no idea what this is. This is really heavy, and it seems like a self-defense weapon. It's not. It's not a self-defense weapon. It's an impact driver. And it says impact driver on it, and that helped me about that much. No idea what that is. And all the, all the men are like, ha-ha, dumb, dumb young guy. But I didn't, I didn't, I, I, I didn't, I didn't have a clue. In fact, at the 9 o'clock, I pulled it apart like this, didn't know it did that. Didn't know it did that at all. I didn't know that that came apart like that. And somebody said, you broke it, but it's supposed to do that. So I had no idea. And the thing is, is, is I didn't know what the importance of it was. I didn't know what it did. I didn't know how to use it. I didn't know how valuable it was. I didn't know how significant it was. But in the right hands, those of you that know what this tool is, you know how important and how good this tool is in the right hands. Now, if you know what that is, tell me after the service, okay? Because I have it. I don't know exactly what to do with it. But I think that, man, there were so many tools like that. That wasn't the only one. There were many different tools like that and things that dad just had in there that he's like, yeah, go ahead, take it, son. I'm like, I don't know what to do with it when I got it. I don't know what to do. And so I guess the question I'm asking or the thing I want you to think about is, have you ever had that happen before? Have you ever had that happen with anything in your life? Maybe it's a tool, right? Maybe it is a tool. Maybe it's something as simple as a tool. You don't know how that works. You don't know how important it is. Maybe it's an idea. Maybe you've got an idea and you're like, look, I, really, I know this is a good idea, but I don't know what to do with it now, right? Or maybe you have a passion. You have a passion that's just something that just breaks your heart and you're energized for it and you want to see it come to pass. You're so energetic, but it's like, I don't know what to do with that now. Like, I've got it, but I don't really know what to do with it. Maybe, maybe you're someone who's not as technologically savvy, and you see what the teenagers are able to do on their phones, and you look and you go, I have the same phone as them, but mine doesn't do all those things. So how do they do that? And you're like, I have the device, but I don't know how to use it the way that they do, right? The thing is, is that many of us have that. We have those areas, so those are the physical things, but the truth is, have, we have it in our lives. Have you ever had that happen on the inside of you where you're like, man, I've got a gift, I've got an ability, I've got a passion that I don't know exactly what to do with it. I mean, I have a general idea, but I'm not sure what to do with it. And then when you connect it to the kingdom of heaven, it's like, I don't even know how to use this for the kingdom of heaven. I love doing whatever this is. I'm so good at whatever this is. It's, it's so much part of who I am. It's obviously a gift. It's obviously a passion. But I don't know. And I mean, God says he's, I'm supposed to be part of the kingdom of heaven and help bring that here. But I don't know what to do with the gift now that I have it. Last week, we learned that the Lord is an investor, that he invests things inside of us. And as we learned last week, he expects a return, an eternal return on his investment. Last week, we learned it's not specifically what you have 
Because a lot of people get wrapped up in that. Everybody gets wrapped up in, well, I don't have. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have the skill set. I can't sing. I can't do this. But we learned last week it's not about what you have. It's what you do with it. It's what you do with it that matters. Because remember last week in the parable, the individual who brought back five bags and multiplied, God, you know, God was happy. The individual who brought back two bags and still multiplied, he was happy. It's the individual who just sat on the blessing and did nothing with it that he became frustrated with. We learned last week that the gift God gave you, gave you is meant to flow through you. So whatever that gift he gave you is meant to throw, uh, flow through you for the benefit of those around you, believe it or not. And that's hard because, again, we talked last week of how difficult it is to put ourselves in that position where my gifts are used to serve those and care for those and improve those lives around me. It's a challenge, and it's difficult. And last week, I also asked you to pray specifically for the gift that God gave you. Whatever gift that is, whatever the thing is that you're like, I'm really good at, I'm really strong at, I can do this, it makes sense, I just love it, people say I'm good at, all of those things, I told you to pray for it if you don't know what it is to help to have the Holy Spirit help figure out what is the gift he's placed inside of you. For some of you, it's money. For some of you, it's time. For some of you, it's patience, a gift of teaching. For some of you, it's a gift of leadership. For some of you, it can be any number of things. But what we know for certain is that gift is placed inside of you. Sure, you're going to benefit from it, but not only for your benefit. It's meant to flow through you. So we're going to talk specifically about you've got the tool, you've got the gift, but what happens next? What do we do next if we want to see a move of God? I've got the blood, what next? What do we do? So we're going to take a look at a specific story that Jesus uh, teaches and experiences. So I'm going to set the stage for you so you know where we're going, and then we'll get, when we get there, it'll all make sense. So this is about the scene we're about to go into is about two years, not quite two years, just under two years into Jesus' ministry. So remember, he was here for just over three years in his public ministry before he was crucified and raised from the dead. So there's that time. We are just over halfway through that period of time. Up to this point, Jesus has done many different miracles, none like the one he's about to do. He's not done anything like the one he's about to do. This particular miracle is recorded in all four of the Gospels. So it's one of those that you can't miss. It's in all four of it. It was so significant that they made sure they wrote it down four separate times. And Jesus, this moment right before we're about to jump into the Scriptures, this moment right before Jesus sends out his disciples with his power and authority. This is important. That had not been done to this point. Jesus had not been necessarily attributed as Messiah yet. He had been attributed as a prophet and powerful, yes, but he hadn't really got Messiah attributed to him yet. Powerful, maybe, but there were powerful prophets in the Old Testament. So at this point, nobody fully grasped all of that just yet. Until Jesus did that thing where he gave his authority and power to his disciples and sent them out two by two into the surrounding countryside to preach and teach about him and about the kingdom of God, and then also had the power to heal and cast out demons. The disciples had that power. 
And Jesus had given him that power. Now, in the Old Testament, you never saw that. In the Old Testament, it was always reliant upon God. God would be the one to give the power as he saw fit. And all of a sudden, Jesus is stepping into that role. All four times the gospel records these things. That Jesus steps into that role, and now he is the one presenting the power and authority that in the Old Testament, or in Torah, as they understood it in those days, was reserved for Yahweh. But now Jesus has been able to do that. On top of the fact that his disciples go out, and it actually works. They cast out demons, they heal people, they teach, and there's a response to Jesus. There's a response when they begin teaching about God, and they taught about God the way Jesus did and in the authority that Jesus gave them. So, in your Bibles, we are going to start in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. So, Mark chapter 6, verse 30, the disciples have just come back from that moment. They've just returned from experiencing the power of God over the last couple days. And it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going, meaning so many people were following them and wanted to get close to Jesus because they taught about the kingdom of God, there's healings, there's miracles, they've got everybody's attention. So these people begin following the disciples. Disciples say, no, not us, follow him. And so there's a lot of people involved at this point. Because so many were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So Jesus says, okay, everybody, hold on a second. You're very tired. You're very exhausted. That's okay. Let's get in a boat and let's go chill because you need a chill. You need a day. You need a day. You need a day to rest. So for those of you that think you're so powerful and so smart and so strong and you can keep going forever and you don't need any rest, I present to you an example where Jesus looks at somebody and says, you need to slow down. So if you think you don't ever need rest, You need rest. You absolutely need rest. So the disciples are being used powerfully by God prior to this moment. Jesus says, you guys need to slow down. In verse 32, he says, So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Jesus and the disciples particularly need a break. Jesus is trying to give his disciples a break. But everybody that saw the power and experienced the things that the disciples had done and experienced the things that Jesus had done, they followed them. So they start to go in the Sea of Galilee across. Well, people knew where they were going anyway. So the crowd simply shifted to the other side. Now, the Sea of Galilee is not this gigantic thing where you can't see the other side. You can see the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And there's probably, the way it works is you would face a headwind. It's very easy and it's small enough that you can get around to another spot on the Sea of Galilee if the boat hits a headwind, which is probably what happened. And then as Jesus is landing, his disciples are exhausted. Remember, they haven't made it to the solitary place yet. That's where they were going. And as he's about to land, Jesus saw a large crowd. So when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. 
reasonable request. Now, put yourself in the disciples' shoes for just a second. They have been used powerfully by God for a couple of days. Those of you that have been part of a move of the Spirit, you know how exhausting that is. You know how tired you are after God moves through you and around you. You know that it's just one of those things. It's, it's a supernatural exhaustion that you can't get back. And then, on top of that, it's hot. It's the Middle East. It is very hot. And you remember, it said they didn't even have a chance to eat yet. So Jesus puts them in the boat, says, we're going to go to the other side, but we're going to relax for a second. We're going to eat. Everybody's going to chill. It's going to be good. And then they meet a crowd. And instead of Jesus shooing the crowds away because he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd, Jesus begins teaching. And you got to imagine the disciples are like, Jesus, we are so tired. What are you doing? Right? Have you ever done that? Have you ever traveled with somebody that just won't stop going places? Have you ever done a road trip or done any type of vacation with somebody who won't stop going places? And it's like they have an, a never-ending energy. And you're like, look, you're about to kill me. We need to take a break. Okay? That was Jesus in this moment. Jesus was moving and moving and moving. And his disciples, probably Peter, because he had a loud mouth, was probably like, this is too much. We need to chill and slow down just a bit. And put yourself in their mind. Exhausted, sweaty, hot. I mean, it's so hot. It's, they're smelly because there's no deodorant back then. Ew, right? Like, that's gross. They're hanging out. I mean, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know what kind of clothes they, you know, they had the robes on. Who knows if they had underwear on? I don't know. It was bad. And they're sitting around, and they're exhausted, and Jesus says these next words. So put yourself in that place, exhausted, tired. The Spirit has been moving in your life and in the lives around you, and you're ready to go, and you just need a nap. You need, a, you need some breakfast and a nap. And Jesus says this after you suggest, let them go get some food. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now you can imagine the disciples are like, What? what? We can't give them anything to eat. Jesus, did you see the crowd? Did you see how many people there are? Jesus, there's absolutely no way. In fact, they respond that way. They said that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? They got a little attitude in there, you know what I'm saying? A little, you guys, parents know the attitude. When you, ask, when you ask your kids to do something, they give you the attitude. That's what this is. It's a little bit of that attitude. Like, Jesus, you can't be serious. You're not really, you're not for real. That's not actually what you mean. How many loaves do you have, he asks. Go and see. And when they found out, they said five loaves and two fish. Now let's pause for a second. I'm going to teach you how to read your Bible for just a second. Is that okay? Can I teach you how to read your Bible? Good? Okay, just one person. All right, who was it? Just you. I'm going to, who wants to know? I'll teach you. Um, so this is important. I want to teach you to read your Bible because I want you to be self-feeders, okay? I want you to read it and understand and know how to do this. So here's a picture of my Bible. One of the things I want you guys to see is you see the header, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Spoiler alert, he's going to feed them, okay, with the loaves of two fish. You can see right below that is the references. That's what those are. So remember I said this is in all four of the Gospels? And you're like, I want to see it in the other four Gospels. That's how you go. It's got a reference right there where you can go to Matthew, Luke, and John, and you can see this in those particular Gospels. Now, this is important. You see different angles of the same story. You're not seeing a different story. 
okay? You're seeing a different angle of the same story. So we're going to do that together. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Okay, so we're going to do that together. We're going to do that with John chapter 6. That's one of the chapters that we talk about that's a reference to it. So in John chapter 6, John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. There it is again. We see it again. And in this one, it gives us a little bit more insight. It gives us a little bit more insight as to what has happened. Mark's account, which was taken from Peter, Mark's account is very action-oriented. It's go, 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 and then, and then, and then, and then. And there's no real explanation as to why these things happen in Mark's gospel, because Peter just wanted to get the information out there that it happened. Then you get to John's gospel. Luke and John are a lot more explaining. There's a lot more explaining. In fact, John's gospel, he pulls out at times and acts as the narrator and then goes back in. So the reason he does that is because he's reflecting on everything he's experienced and everything he's done, and it makes sense to him now why Jesus did what he had done. And he was a writer also. So you see all of these things. So in John chapter 6, starting in verse 7, so we're picking up right at the same moment that we just came from. Jesus looked at them and said, you go feed them. You go feed them. And then Philip John tells us that Philip was the one who responded. Philip says, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Does that sound familiar to anything we just read? It does, right? And then another of the disciples, Andrew, Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with, with five small barley loaves and two fish, but how far will it go among so many? Again, sounds exactly the same. Again, and I want you to see that when you're reading your Bibles, particularly in the Gospels, this works really well in the Gospels, you can jump around and see where else it is in the Gospel. So you can get different context as to what is being said and why it's being said. Or maybe more specifically, who is saying what. So that's in John's Gospel. And John tells us that it was a little boy who came with the bread and the fish. Now, I don't know about you, but I envision a little boy with a lunchbox, and Andrew comes up and says, hey, what's in your lunchbox? And he's like, nothing. There ain't nothing in there. Y'all look like a bunch of hungry old men. I ain't giving you nothing, right? But then, I mean, the, somehow the boy ends up giving it, and then they present it to Jesus. This is important. Back to Mark. So we're going to go back to the Gospel of Mark. Everybody with me? Back to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6. Some of you are like, I'm already lost. I can't do this anymore, Pastor. You switched around too much. Mark chapter 6, we're going to finish out the story right here. Verse 39, when Jesus directed them, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So have them sit down in groups. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks, broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. This is important that we don't recognize. This was the first time that Jesus had done a true provision miracle like this. To where he was showing them, because up to this point, God, Yahweh, was the provider of everything. Jehovah Jireh, he's the provider. But then Jesus steps into this role and does this thing that is very much like a provider. 
Not only that, he does what God did in the Old Testament with the manna and quail, where he begins to multiply and feed people who are hungry. And again, it says that the number of men who had eaten was around 5,000. And one of the most famous, famous miracles that any of us have ever heard of is performed, recorded in all four of the Gospels. Now, for many of us, we, we sit back and go, okay, that's beautiful. I'm so appreciative of that. But what does that mean? Well, the key is, is you got to pay attention to a few things. I want you to recognize that it was the disciples' resources. Do you think Jesus needed the bread or fish? I mean, he's Jesus. He probably, he did not need the bread or fish. He didn't need the bread or fish because if he had the power of God, which we know he did, then why did he need the bread and fish? I mean, he could have just been like, what do you guys have? And they're like, we ain't got nothing. And he's like, that's okay. Boom. Here's the bread. Here's the fish. Fish tacos for everybody in the morning, right? Like he could have done that, but he didn't. And he didn't because it was that partnership that was supposed to happen. That partnership of the human and the divine that's designed and supposed to happen. It was human resources and work, but then it was his power. Because with their resources, they could only feed seven people. That was it. That's all they could feed. Maybe they cut it down and they could feed 14. But with his power, they were able to feed everybody. And it was when they brought their natural ability and he placed his super upon their natural that something amazing happened. That, may I be so bold, that a work of God happened amongst the people. It was when they brought what they had and surrendered it, this is key, to him. And when they surrendered it to him, that's when the power came. That's when he poured it out on there. And that's when they were able to make a difference across all those people. Also, notice what happened. It went back to the disciples. It went back to the disciples. Jesus empowered it, and then they distributed it. Remember that? So they bring it to him, and he empowers it. There's four things that happen really quick in the gospel, really fast in this moment that we run by and we don't pay attention to sometimes. First of all, every miracle starts with a need. Every move of God, every move of God starts with a need, okay? Move it to our context today. Fredericksburg, the city of Fredericksburg, needs to be introduced to Jesus. Can I get an amen, somebody? Thank you. I could get an amen for that, that, G, that Fredericksburg needs to be introduced to Jesus. We believe that. We believe that the life-changing power of the gospel. There was a need. People were hungry. They needed to eat. They'd been sitting there listening to the teaching of Jesus all day, and now they were hungry. So a miracle or a move of God always starts with a need. And then, after that, it was the gift it was the gift of the disciples bringing what they had. They didn't have to bring all this crazy stuff. They just had to bring what they had. They brought what they had to Jesus, and he empowered it. They surrendered what they had to Jesus, and he empowered it. 
And then that's when the real life change started to happen. So there was the need, there was the gift, there was the power that came on it because of the surrendering of the gift that happens. Now, this doesn't mean you give, you give God your gift and you're like, here, Lord, this is, what I've, this is what you've given me. And then you write a little asterisk next to it. I want you to use it like this, Jesus. Right? You don't go, Lord, I'm really good at these things and I want to use it to build your kingdom. But if you could do it this way, like, let me put it in parentheses right on the end, Lord, that, that only these things do I want it to be done. No, it's a full surrendering of what they had. They had no idea that he was going to do what he did. Like, that he's Jesus, so there's a little bit of trust exchange to that point to where they're like, look, he's going to do something really cool. We don't know what it is, but somebody bring him some loaves and two fish. I have no idea what he's going to do. Nope, we don't know, Philip. We're just, we're just going to do it, and we're going to see what he's able to do. They weren't ready for the miracle that he did but they still came and fully surrendered it to him. And then once the miracle happened, once the power was poured out on them and on the gift that they had given, and God is multiplying and Jesus is multiplying what's happening, it goes right back to the disciples and he says, okay, now it's empowered, now you have it, now you go do something with it. Now you go and serve the people with it. Now you go bring that gift that I've poured my spirit onto and my power onto. You take that and you take it out and you give the food to the people. That's how this works. There's a go, go, and serve. So in our context, the need is that we want to see a move of God. Like that's the need. We want to, I asked, everybody's down for that. The thing is, is that Fredericksburg, the city, needs to be introduced to Jesus. None of us would argue that point at all. The second thing we need to do is bring the gift to Jesus, surrendering the gift to Jesus, not t- coming in and saying, Lord, I'm really good at these things. So here's my list. Okay. These are the list. This is it. But actually surrendering it to Jesus. And Jesus places his power upon it. And then it comes back to us. Go and do something with what has been empowered. There's a sense in with in which without Jesus, you cannot. They could never have the impact that they did had that miracle not happened. Like I said, they had enough for seven people. But when he entered into the mix, they had enough for 5,000. Ladies and gentlemen, whatever gift you have, how good you are, whatever it is that you do, you will only reach a few on your own. But when the power of God what happened? <laughs> Power of God, and it all just switched. Praise the Lord. Um, but when, when you trust God with that gift, whatever that is, and he pours his power and spirit onto it, you will reach hundreds, if not thousands, with the gift. And you go, Brandon, how does that work? Like, look, I don't know how or why it works that way, but it simply does. I don't use my example because it's the, it's the easiest one. Um, I did not realize that I had any gift of teaching or speaking or anything like that. Some of you are sitting there going, you don't, but <laughs> thanks. Um, but I, in the Marine Corps, I was, uh, I was an instructor, so, so I did time. I was always one of those guys that I just liked explaining and teaching, and I would become very proficient in something, and then I would teach my Marines on it, and then I got to be an instructor right before I got out, and, and I really enjoyed that job. It was something I enjoyed. And then um, somebody, my, somebody's my wife, was like, you need to get involved in 
the church. You need to start volunteering in the church. And the funny thing is, is God had been pulling on my heart for a little bit, like, hey, there's something involved in the church. And one time she leans over and goes, you keep saying that there's something, God has something for you in the church, but you ain't even volunteering. So I was like, okay, all right, that's valid. I hear that. And then the same Sunday, our campus pastor gets up there and he says, hey, we need more people, particularly he called out all the men in the room. And he goes, you need, we need more men to be involved. And he listed a bunch of them. And one of them was kids and youth. And I was like, I want to do youth. I want to do kids. I don't want to do youth at all. I don't like teenagers. I don't want to do it. No, I'm not good at it. And then my wife was like, no, you're, Leah was like, no, you can do teenagers. I was like, no, I do not want to do that. Maybe greeting is my gifting. And she's like, no, it's something like that. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And she goes, well, you're pretty much already teaching them because you teach a bunch of privates to Lance Corporals. You're already teaching teenagers. I was like, that's a good point. Sound logic. So I go in and I accept it and I say, okay, fine, here we go. And then I go in and then after a period of time, people hearing me talk, the youth pastor gave me the opportunity to lead a small group. And then after they evaluated me there, they gave me the opportunity to preach. And then after they preached, Pastor Mike gave me the opportunity to preach at his, at the, on the Sunday service. And then after that, here I am preaching every Sunday. On my own, my ability was reaching a few, just a few. But with God's power, this happened with everything that he's done. And I can go around the room to every one of our team leaders, and they have the same story. I had just a little bit, and I was reaching just a little bit, and I was doing just a little bit. But then when you say, raise your hand and say, yes, Lord, send me, boom, the power comes on it. And then stuff like this happens. I could go around. Every one of our team leaders could come up here and tell you that testimony. Every one of our board members could come up here and tell you that same thing about how God just does miraculous things with, for us, what seems like so little. It seems so little. But for him, he sees nothing but the potential. So the question that I have for you today is, are you willing to surrender it? Are you willing to surrender that? Are you willing to surrender the gift that you have, whatever it is that he has given you, the loaves and the fish? Your only responsibility is to show up to the party with the loaves and the fish. That's it. You show up, and you're ready to invest it into the world around you. But the key is, is you've got to take it, and you've got to show up. God, here it is. Here it is. So, after service outside on, in the cafe, there's, there's connection cards and volunteer cards for those of you that want to get connected here at the church and start serving and using your gifts in different areas. And listen to me. It will change your life. It drastically changed mine. It'll change your reach when you trust the Lord with the gift that he has given to you. So, are you willing to surrender it to God? Or do you want to keep it tied up? With that, let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this clear, clear example of the way things work when we want to see a move of God. That we have to show up. We have to show up with a little bit of 
human hands and human work and effort. And then we have to come up and provide. We have to come up and provide, Lord, and surrender to you and give it all to you. And that is so difficult. But God, I I pray that you would empower us, give us the courage to say yes. And Lord, it's scary, and there's a lot of places where when we raise our hand and we surrender that to you, we don't know how it's going to go. We just have to trust you in that aspect. So Father, help us. Guide us. Help us discover the gift, the investment that you've placed in us, and help us be brave enough to surrender it fully to your power so that we can reach those around us. Lord, we love you. We give you all the praise. The church said, amen.